Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Karen, hey, welcome to Confessions of Crappy Christian. I'm so excited. Hey, thanks for having me, Blake. So you are the author of this book that a lot of people are either going to need or they're going to be like, oh, that doesn't that doesn't resonate for me. Like this is an all in or all out. I think I have found type of topic. The title is when making others happy is making you miserable. That is like the best title ever. (laughs) Like, I love that so much. You are a self-proclaimed recovering people pleaser and you've written a book about it. Tell us a little bit about this book and kind of your experience and having to come out of that. Well, I have been a people pleaser my entire life, you know, ever since I was in elementary school and wanted to make all the teachers happy and have all my friends like me through, you know, teenage, adulthood, decades, decades long struggle with with, uh, people pleasing over here. But about three and a half years ago, I finally hit the wall. It was uh, a very innocent ask that my very best friend from college asked me to do something one summer. And I said, yes, even though everything within me was like screaming to my brain say, no, you've got too much going. Your father just died. You just moved Mm. to a new town. There's too much on your plate, but I didn't want to disappoint her. So I said, Mm -hmm. yes, I knew I shouldn't. I walked out to the back of our property. I'll never forget it. And sat by our fire pit and I just lost it. Like Mm -hmm. I was audibly sobbing and I knew something had to change. And so it kind of sent me on a journey of looking through scripture, talking to my husband, praying a ton. And I really felt God called me to a season of necessary and no, which mm. I've never done in my life, do yeah. only what's necessary for my family, my job, my home, and say no to everything else. And so I did that for one whole summer. And it was the changing point for me, the pivoting point to stop living my life based on the opinions and the expectations of others and do it based on what I feel God is wanting me to do and not do. Yeah. Okay, I want to hear more about this, the summer of necessary and no, because oh, it was so painful. Was See, I'm like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll say this. The first two weeks, maybe three was very painful because mm-hmm. I was so overcommitted, way too much of my plate. You had to like say a no to a lot. Probably. I did. I, did. I had to go back to people I'd said yes to, even if it was something silly, like not silly trivial, like baking cookies for the toddler class at church. Okay. I've been doing that since I became a Christian when I was 16. I've never (laughs) said no to the toddler class at church, but even little things like that, I just cleared everything off of my plate. Like even fun stuff. 
not fun stuff I wanted to do. Okay. But, you know, that's like okay. necessary. It's yes, exactly. Yeah. And so I would love to say that everyone in my life understood, but they didn't. Yeah. Most of the people were polite, but I could tell some of them were disappointed because I was backing out on them. I tried mm-hmm. to find replacements. I tried to give them, you know, a, a couple weeks notice. Few people I never heard from again because they were really only my friend because of what I could do for them. And when I said, you know, I really can't be involved in this anymore or no, I can't host your, your party. And I'm not against parties. I love Tupperware essential oils. Give me all the things, (laughs) but sometimes I just need to say, no, I don't want to have a party for you this week. I'm sorry. I'm not going to get the hostess gift, but sorry, you know? And so some were kind of disappointed a couple split the scene, but my best friend who I had said that yes to, and I knew I needed to go back and say, I can't do this. It was a really silly thing. Her her son was going to be doing an internship near our town. And it was a three hour commute to his round trip Mm -hmm. to where he lived. And there were going to be, sometimes he had to work really late, but he had to open the next day. And she wanted to know if he could stay at our house, you know, it could just kind of crash. There's normally teenagers and young adults crash at my house all the time. But I just knew because I was fresh with grief. My dad had just died and this, Mm. this new move. I just knew I had to say no. But when I called her back, she gave me the sweetest gift. I mean, she just said, Karen, it's okay. Yeah. It didn't surprise God any. I'll find someone else. I care more about you and your mental health and your capacity in life. And, you know, I've kind of always known (laughs) you tend to overextend yourself. And she had just walked through a season with someone very close to her who had completely overextended themselves and Mm -hmm. wound up needing to quit work for six months. Yeah. And she didn't want me to go down that road. And so she just gave me the sweetest gift. She said, it's okay. I'm going to be yeah. checking in on you. And I had a glorious summer of not feeling overcommitted, of not my, my brain not racing, thinking, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And I just didn't feel that pressure to like, or that, that tension in my brain of, oh, I got to tell this person. No, I told everyone, hey, I'm in a season of necessary. No, don't ask me to do anything. And if you do, the answer is going to be no. Right. And then when I came out of it, it was easier to start saying no, which is something I'd never done before. Right. Like you had to do like almost like a hard practice to be able to do it in real life. How did you decide like what fell into those categories? How did you decide what was necessary? So my categories kind of were everything. I was only going to do what was necessary for my family, my home and my job slash ministry. And so those were the categories. And then within all three of those categories, I asked myself this question. What can only I do? What can That's only good. I do? You know, mm. only I can go support my son when he's playing softball. Right. <laughs> you know, watch him on the, 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 the softball team. Only I can be a wife to my husband. But I started, this is going to sound very silly, but I started getting my groceries delivered during this time. Heck yes. I thought that's going to save me some time. I just tried everything I could to clear my schedule and to free up time and then only put back on my plate those things I really felt God calling me to do. So mm. I um, dropped out of helping with things. I dropped out of even like going out to coffee and stuff with friends, unless I really felt like, you know what? I need a dose of Kelly. Kelly is like better than church. Mm. I need to go have coffee yeah. with Kelly, you know? And I actually freed up enough time that I was able to pick up a hobby. I haven't had a hobby. Oh my goodness. In like, I don't want to say how many years, but it's been, <laughs> since, been since college, you'll do the math and figure out how old I am. But, um, but I started embroidering again oh. and making little gifts for people doing something I wanted to do to be creative just because I wanted to, not yeah. because I had to. Yeah. And it was glorious. It was glorious. Yes. I think I've said this before on the show, but I know when I'm, because I mean, even as not a 
people pleaser. I can still fill my schedule with things that are not necessary, probably for a different motive, but (laughs) I know I'm filling my schedule too much when I haven't read fiction. That is my like, okay. I can't believe you just said that because guess what? I hadn't read fiction since college when I was assigned it and I started Yes. That month reading one fiction book a month. And now I'm on, well, what, like 30 some books. Yes. And I love it. It's just, yeah. It's I, I used to think it, I used to think it was a waste of time because yes. I'm like such a doer. I'm an Enneagram three wing two. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, I want to do things and help people and learn things. And I thought fiction was such a waste of time. Yeah. And I had a couple of friends really challenge me and say, no, it's like a brain break. Yeah. And it does get your creative juices flowing and oh you do learn lessons. And so yes. yeah, I'm on team fiction now. I, you just got out of this season. I'm in the midst of, I'm like deep in on the editing of my book that comes out next year. And I am a better writer if I am reading fiction. Like they're mm-hmm. the, the editing the chapters where I can like look through. It's like a timeline. Like my book is, I'm like, I was really stressed and not reading fiction. So this chapter needs a lot of editing. Ah. Like It's crazy, but it is, it's such a brain break and it's like, allows me to be more creative. I can tell if I'm like stressed and doing too much. If I, if I like look at my Goodreads and I haven't read fiction in a while, I'm like, okay, I got to slow down a little bit. There you go. I got to Yeah. I think everybody like kind of needs to have that. Are you giving your yes, but you're bitter about it? Are you agreeing to do things like begrudgingly? Like that's not good either. Yeah. And that's how I can tell when I'm people pleasing and not serving. Cause see, in my estimation, people pleasing is a strength that gets carried to an extreme and it now becomes, well, we don't call them weaknesses at our house. My right. husband and I, we refer to them as non-strengths. So it's now become <laughs> a non-strength. And so we want to, you know, as believers, we want to love and serve and right. help. But when I can tell that I'm not just serving because I feel that God's calling me to serve in this area, but I'm people pleasing is when the joy is just sucked right out of it. Yes. It's like I'm dreading going in and helping with that toddler's class. Oh, I just don't. Everything within me does not want to do it. But gosh, I really like the person in charge and I want them to like me. So I say, yes, you know, then I could tell there's no joy in this because there's joy. There's true joy when you're really serving because God wants you to not because the other person expects you to. One of the things that you talk about in the book is the difference between a people pleaser and a God pleaser. Like, are those, I guess those are different. Like they're not, yeah, they have to be different. Well, there are some times that pleasing other people does please God, but when they come to like a crossroads and they're against each other. Yeah. And, you know, instead we need to learn to retrain our brains and not ask ourselves, like, what does this person want me to say? What does this person Mm. want me to do? And instead just shoot up a prayer and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Okay. I mean, we get that far sometimes, but the Mm -hmm. next step is now help me to speak the truth in love, Mm. like help me to do that. And that whole speak the truth in love thing. I find that depending on your personality type, People either gravitate toward one or the other side yes. of it. Either they bark out the truth in an unloving manner, or they think the only loving thing to do is to not tell the truth at all. But yep. we can learn to like talk that truth in an envelope of grace, say the hard thing yeah, and be saying yes to things and no to things based on whether or not God's calling us to. And if the other person has a problem with it, let them have a problem with it. You know, yeah. And- if it's okay with you and God, then like them having yeah. a problem isn't your problem. It's not. Yeah. It's not. But see, yeah. what we, we do is we make everybody else's feelings our responsibility. So it, right. it does become our problem. And so we think, oh, I can't let them, you know, be angry or upset or disappointed or whatever. Right. Their feelings aren't your responsibility. That's God's business. You make sure you've got a clear 
signal from God if you're supposed to say yes, you're supposed to say no, and then just let the chips fall where they may. Mm-hmm. And it is such a spectrum, right? I think one of the things I say is telling the truth without love is being a jerk, mm-hmm. but being loving without the truth is usually enabling. Yeah. Or, or some that's version good, good. of that. And so whichever end of the spectrum you fall on, the reality is, is that if you're lining up with God, if you're checking things, you know, with the spirit and then walking forward in grace, like you said, like you said at the beginning that there were people, you very much felt this was a call from God to do this season of necessary and no. And there were people who didn't like that. That wasn't your responsibility because you were being faithful to what the father had called you into. And I know in your book, that's like a whole chapter, right? Pushers, powders, guilt bombers, and others who try to call the shots. Yes. Right. That's so like, even as not a people pleaser, like I have those people in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sure does weed out your friends fast. You know, you really learn who is in your life because you give them something, you do something for them, you rescue them from their messes they've made and who's really in your life because they truly love you. And I think one of the biggest lessons, Blake, that I learned is that you can, because I never thought this was true, but you can still say yes to a friendship, but say no to a request from a friend. Mm Because I used to think I can't ever ever say no to them. There's going to be this awkwardness in our friendship. They're going to be disappointed. They're going to be angry. It's going to make more work for them. So I would just say, yes, 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 yes. And what had I done? I had taught people how to treat me. They knew. Mm. Pick up the phone. She'll say yes. You know, send her the text message. Hey, I need that link. She'll send it right to me. I had taught people, if you need me, I'm your girl. I'll drop what I'm doing and I'll fix your problem. And it was a huge lesson when I realized that I can say no sometimes to my friends. And guess what? They're still my friends. Right. Well, and I think that there's some responsibility that you're taking there, right? Like that you teach people how to treat you. So if you take a step back and they don't like it, or there's radio silence, like there's some mutual responsibility there, unfortunately. And I've had to learn that lesson the very hard way of, yes, there's some responsibility on their part that they weren't, you know, maybe treating me or or cultivating our friendship the way that they should have. But if, if all it takes is for me to step back, then I wasn't either. I was doing all the work. I was being overly available. Like that starts to venture into some codependent behavior. So I think that's an interesting perspective because it's like, that's like a big trend right now, like on social media is talking about, and I've experienced that, like taking a step back from a friendship and they're being silent. Right. Mm -hmm. I've experienced that multiple times, but I don't know how many people are like looking in the mirror and saying, I did, I did that too. I have responsibility in that as well. Mm -hmm. Whether you were people pleasing or just like doing everything and not like you're like you said, you teach people how to treat you. I think is I think that's very impactful. Well, and just, you know, when you said social media, we were talking that that's a big thing. (laughs) Just the whole digital age has done things to our friendship, you know, because think about it years ago. I think you're I think you're this old years ago. You probably had a a home where they had a landline, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if someone wanted to call your mom. And your mom didn't pick up. She wasn't home or she just didn't want to pick up the phone right then. The burden was on the person calling to keep trying until they got you home. Now it's completely flipped. And I feel like I keep my phone plugged in in the kitchen overnight. I don't want to take it to bed. So I'll be scrolling and tapping and frittering and twittering my time away. I'm reading my (laughs) fiction. I'm reading my fiction book. Absolutely. The 
world is crazy and more and more it feels like everything is kind of on fire. And the reality is you likely need someone to talk to about it. If traditional therapy just hasn't been a fit for you or you haven't been able to make it work, I wanted to tell you about Faithful Counseling, an online Christian therapy option that's significantly cheaper and more accessible than traditional counseling. Faithful Counseling matches you with a counselor based on your needs, allows you to meet via text, phone call, or video call, and they price on a sliding scale. So to find out more and get 10% off your first month, visit getfaithful.com slash crappy Christian and start talking to a therapist today. We're getting close to sweatshirt weather. I mean, not in Louisiana, but I'm sure some of you are. So I wanted to make sure that you know that the Crappy Christian merch shop is open for business with favorites like Won't Me Do It, Be Found Standing, and our Jesus Lover Tee, also in the comfiest sweatshirts ever. Head to crappychristianco.com slash merch to grab your new favorite sweatshirt. Okay, let's get back to the show. But anyhow, when I get up in the morning and I take my plane off airplane mode, it's like all those notifications do their daily dance from the top of my screen and they come down. And so many of them are things people are putting on my plate that mm. I never asked for. I never yeah. asked. I never volunteered. I never agreed to. And it's almost like I'm making out my to-do list for the day with my pencil and my legal pad, which is how I still roll. Yeah. And they reach over my shoulder without any permission for me. And they grab the pen and they start doing all these things, you know? And when you have a presence on social media and you accept DMs, it's even worse because now complete strangers are like, oh my gosh, one time I had this guy, he was a wife of somebody who'd seen a recipe. I put that I was making a corn chowder for the football team. And this lady like DM'd me, hey, any recipe? Hey, recipe, don't you know you're supposed, not supposed to put a food item on there if you don't include the recipe? Well, I didn't have time to send type of recipe out right then. So I ignored her. I ignored her. She kept pushing, pushing, contacted me like several ways, Facebook, Twitter, all these different ways. Finally, her husband, her husband DM'd me and said, my wife kindly asked you an hour and a half ago for that recipe. She wants, to make, she wants to make the soup for me for dinner tonight. And I'm like telling him where the soup can go. You know, I just, I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? So I just completely ignored them for like, I don't know, three or four days. And then I finally texted just the wife back and said, Hey, that was a really busy day. Didn't have time to do the recipes, but if you sign up for my newsletter, I often give recipes. Yeah. That's free. And I'm going to try to do some fall <sighs> soup recipes. This is like two years ago. I'm going to try to do some fall soup recipes. So I'll make sure to include that corn chowder, but yeah. can you believe it? People like I have, don't work for you. No, but people feel like they, number one, they feel like they have instant access to you because of social media. Yes. And number two, I feel like they think you interact with your phone like they interact with their phone. And they're probably mm-hmm. someone who has gl- is glued to their phone, is constantly checking it on social media and going back and forth. And the minute they get a text, they respond and stuff. And they find it very strange when you don't act that way too. Yes. You know, I'm just not going to do that. No. If I was responding to everybody who asked for a recipe or where'd you get the cute yellow teapot in the background? Mm. I see on your picture on September 27th or whatever. <laughs> I would have to have like a full-time job yeah. just doing that and quit writing 100%. books and speaking, you know? A hundred percent. But they think that that you're waiting there just to answer their very many questions. I know. I've talked about that Crazy. before too, that like the access that people have to other people is just unprecedented. Like I am old enough to remember that when I would like enjoyed someone or their content, I had to like write a letter and it was yeah. never going to get to them. And I would get this like photocopied version with like a stamp of their signature on it and thought that was great. And now like there's somebody online I can't think of 
I can't think of their name that talks about this very well, that just this access is so unprecedented and not normal. Like it is not normal for 52,000 people to have access to like, ask me whatever. Some of the DMs that I get, and I'm sure you do too, of like telling me their very intimate life story and asking for advice. Like I just have a saved response now that's like, I am so sorry you're walking through this. I am not a licensed counselor, but here's where you could find yes, one. That's exactly what I do. And it's not, I'm not trying to like hate on people who send DMs. I because that right. is a part of my job that I love. I love yeah. like there are such pros and cons to everything. Like I love the accessibility. I love being able to connect people like you and I who are in ministry right now have the capacity to connect with people so much differently than people 20 years ago could connect to ministry. And that's such a gift. Yeah. But it's the assumption, like, yes, it's the you owe me something. Yeah. And that translates from online life to real life. There have been people in my life where I'm like, oh, like, you think I owe you X, Y, Z. But I really don't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, and it's it's a compliment that someone trusts you enough and values your opinion enough that they want to ask your opinion. But I do the same thing. I'm not a licensed trained counselor. Mm -hmm. And two, I just don't know if our souls were meant to connect in little snippets with thousands of people (sighs) daily, because what happens is then we start to ignore, you know, we put the URL over the IRL, you know, we start to ignore (laughs) the in real life friends that we should be involved in their life day to day because we're so busy, you know, answering about yellow teapot, you know? Right. Right. No, a hundred percent. So one of the things, the other things that you talk about in your book that I think is really interesting is you, you say you came to recognize that you were a fabulous fibber. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Is this the worst? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. You're I think we're about out of time now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I resonate with this. So like, I want to hear your heart about. So when I recognized it and faced the music, I was actually sitting in church and I normally love my church. It's in a real eclectic <laughs> part of town and a thing that used a uh, building that used to be a bowling alley, a furniture store, and then a nightclub. And nice. now it's one of our venues. And I usually love going there. But one day the teaching pastor that morning, our campus pastor, he went off kind of on a tangent of whatever his main subject that he should have stuck to was and he started <laughs> talking about people pleasing. And he said, you know, I'm just going to say it, you know, because I am one. So he threw himself in there, but he said, people pleasers often lie. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, it was almost like those spotlights that are normally pointing toward the stage. It was like they drop swiveled and they were pointing at me and everybody knew he was talking about me Yeah, because you know, we do, we, we may not lie for really good reasons. Yeah, You know, we don't want to hurt someone's feelings when they ask our honest opinion on something. We don't want to upset them. We don't want to anger them. If someone's truly been a victim in their life and have had a lot of sadness, we don't want to add to their sadness Mm -hmm. or you're not going to track with this one. <laughs> we don't want there to be further questioning about our political views or, you know, <laughs> on, or our views on some hot topic, you know, yeah. so we kind of make it seem like we're in group A, but we're really in group B, but boy, if they know I'm in group B, they're going to ask follow-up questions. So we kind of yeah. shade the truth, you know, mm-hmm. dress it up a bit. And I really had to face the music that a lot of the times when I was people-pleasing, Though the reason behind it may have been good, I was not telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And as I told my children often, a half truth is still a whole lie. Yeah. It really is. And so I had to realize that being honest is commanded by us. Right. You know, okay, if, I, am I, if, if I'm hi, hiding somebody from the Nazis, no, I, I will lie then. Yeah. But, you know, in other cases, we're, we're not doing anybody any favor. We're not being honest is wasting everyone's time mm. because, you know, you go down this trail 
when everyone thinks you think A and really you think B, well, you've just wasted their time and your time. You know, honesty is the best policy, but it's hard, you know, and we need to learn, like I said earlier, to to kind of tuck that hard truth in an envelope of kindness. And I've had to get very familiar with saying, you know what, I really want to lie right now, Mm -hmm. but I'm trying not to. Yeah. So here's my answer. And it's been hard, but it's been good. Do you think another aspect of that is that being dishonest or like not telling the truth, there's like a, a facet of it where then people don't really know you. Yeah. That like it kind of shields too, yeah. you a little bit from really being known. Yeah. And then like, it's more difficult to disappoint people if they don't, if they can't like really see what's inside. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I hadn't thought of that, but that's a very good point. So what did that look like? Like, I know you said it looks like saying, I really want to lie right now, which I think is like, that's fabulous advice because I think the hardest part is just being honest with yourself. Yeah. And I've just learned to say out loud these internal narratives I have going on my brain and just call it on the carpet and say, like, I'm really hesitant to tell you my honest opinion because I really value our friendship. That's good. And yet I know if I were in your shoes, I would want someone to tell me the truth. So even though this is going to be hard, this is Mm. what I honestly think, you know, or to say everything within me right now wants to say yes to your request. But when I look at my schedule and the reality of how much bandwidth I have, I know I have to say no, but I hesitate to say no, because I really want to say yes. Right. Everything within me wants to, it sounds like a fun thing to do. I love you. I love spending time with you, but I just know if I say yes, I'm going to be going against what God has me to do. And I really got to care more what he wants me to do than about the potential awkwardness that there might be in our friendship. And I hope there's not any awkwardness going forward. That's, you know, another thing I'll say to people is like, uh, I hesitate being entirely truthful right now because I feel like things are about to get awkward, Mm -hmm. but I know I need to be entirely truthful. So, Mm -hmm. and then I just say it, it's like a muscle. It's gotten easier. I mean, I've been doing this now for three and a half years and it's gotten so much easier. It really has. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's an exercise for both of you, right? Like both people in that, because I I think about being on the other side of that. Like maybe I don't struggle to tell the truth, but I want to be like a kind, compassionate, grace-filled place for people to land with their like hard realities or, or their nose that they're worried about. And I could imagine someone prefacing that conversation with, this is hard for me, or this is what I want to say or do, but this is what I feel like God's calling me to like, that sets me up to like, love you well on the other side. Right. And that's another reason that I have had a lot of Enneagram eights and other people who don't have trouble with people pleasing, read the book and say, you know what this book did for me. It helped me to realize how my behavior had made it so much easier for people to please people please because of my approach. And I've learned to say, Hey, I'm going to ask you something, but I really want you to tell me the truth. If you don't have the bandwidth for this, I want you to tell me no. And so it's kind of taught them how to help the rest of us not fall into the people pleasing trap because of, of how they ask or their approach. When we're in a hundred percent, one of my best friends is a nine and we went to universal like two months ago. we We did like 10 hours in the park, like maxed it out. But there was one point like halfway through the day where I stopped and like grabbed her by the shoulders. and was like, what do you want to do? Because I will get into the mode of just like, we're doing this. Let's go get in this line. Let's eat. And she's like, and she genuinely was like totally great with it. Like she wasn't like annoyed, but she was like, 
I don't even remember honestly what it was. I think she like wanted to go get butterbeer. And I was like, let's go get butterbeer. Like, let's make it happen. You know what I mean? So Enneagram is like such a spectrum and personality types are such a spectrum that I appreciate that, that it's like, you know, I've lost friends. I've lost friendships because I wasn't cognizant and aware enough to like stop and say, like, am I railroading you right now? Am I like making all of the, what do you want? Because- I think like in a twisted way, I've believed that I was loving them well, just making all of the decisions because it seemed like making decisions right. stressed them out. But the reality is everybody, no matter your personality, like wants to be heard and wants to have a voice. Yeah. And I'm married to a nine. And so oh, even when nice. I say, even when I say, which is a wonderful thing, nines make the best, best they really spouses, I think. They're great. But which I can't even say, what do you want to do? Because you know what he does is he still factors in that you're part of the equation, Karen. So gosh, what do I want to do? Well, what would Karen want me to do? So I'll say this, I'll say like, even if it's something silly, Mm -hmm. like where we're going to stop to eat and when we're traveling on a trip, you know, we're going to stop for dinner somewhere. I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. I don't care what, well, where where do you want to eat? I don't know. Just sell it. I'll go, okay, let's pretend I'm not in the car and you're on this trip alone. (laughs) What would you do? You stop. And then yeah. I was like, oh, well, Italian sounds good to me. Well, then why didn't you say it? You know? But you got to take you out of the yes. equation and say, you know, yourself out of the equation and ask them, okay, if I didn't exist right now, yes. what would you like to do? That's such a good exercise. I'm married to a one wing nine, but his nine okay. wing is really strong. And then I'm just like an eight wing eight. So <laughs> yeah. an eight on the steroids, right? Yeah, my husband's a nine wing one. That's interesting. Yeah. I love that. So one of the last things I wanted to cover is your book offers these stop it statements for people pleasers. I think there's, there's seven of them, right? Yes. Yes. So I want to hear like your favorites. Okay. So these stop it statements, these are these little one sentence sermons I preach to myself. Yeah. (laughs) When I find myself starting to go down that road of people pleasing again, I'll just stop and then I'll preach one of these little sermons to myself. So let me think, okay, one of my favorites is something actually a mentor of mine told me years ago. And it's this, every need is not necessarily your call because whenever I hear of a need, I'm like, Oh, I got to sign up. Yeah. And so, yes, there's a need, but it's not necessarily my call. And if I'm only doing it because I'm capable and I'm not called, you know, then it's kind of like, I've got this curse of capability. Everybody just comes to me because I'm capable, Mm -hmm. but if I'm not called and I do the task anyway, then I'm actually taking the blessing away from the person God meant to do that job in the first Amen. place. So remind yourself, every need is not necessarily your call. Another one. Okay. So the flip side of people pleasing, the first half is we do things because other people want us to mm-hmm. expect us to. But the flip side of it, I feel is that when God is calling us to do something, we don't do it because we're afraid someone else is not going to approve, mm-hmm. you know? So God's calling us to do something but we say no to God. It's not that we're saying yes to someone else, to people, please. We're saying no to God because we're afraid it's of the reaction of someone else. So I tell myself, you do not need that person's permission to do God's will. Ooh. If God's really calling you to do something, you don't need their permission yes. to do God's will. And then I think probably the other one that I probably say to myself the most is that other people's happiness is not my responsibility. Because somehow we people pleasers have gone through life thinking it's our job to keep everybody happy. It's and exhausting. We, yeah. And we make their feelings and their happiness our responsibility. And it's not. It's not. Mm. It's our responsibility to be truthful, to be kind, to be loving, to be helpful when we know God's calling us to. But it's God's job to bring joy to their life. Mm-hmm. And if we try to keep them happy all the time, 
we're kind of short-circuiting the whole thing. And also too, I found that sometimes I'm actually impeding someone's relationship with the Lord Yes, when I'm constantly there for them. They constantly can run to me. What what do you think? What should I do? Especially I've had this with a couple of friends that have tragically been going through divorces. Mm. Um, They want to give me the play-by-play of what's happening in the divorce and with the other woman and all this kind of stuff. And I would constantly pick up the phone and let them vent to me. And you know what? I was actually preventing them from running to God where they should have been in the first place because they would run to me and they knew I would pick up. Yeah. So I've got to uh, remind myself often that everyone else's happiness isn't, it's not my job. It's not my responsibility. Yeah. That's that last one. I actually, I've talked a little bit about codependency just throughout our conversation. I was in like an actual codependent friendship over a year ago now. And that was one of the biggest things when that friendship ended was realizing that I picked up the phone to talk to them before Mm -hmm. I talked to God about things there. What they wanted me to do had become more important than what God was calling me to do. And there is literally no way for that to be healthy. Mm -mm. There's it's not possible. Mm -mm. And learned, learned that lesson the hard way. But those are so good. I, I love me like a little mini sermon that I can just kind of keep tucked in my back pocket and remind myself, like preach truth to myself because the world is really loud. Mm-hmm. And I think in this case, like the world likes people pleasing. It wants us to be always available. It, like even Christian culture can look like that, that mm-hmm. this is what Jesus did. And I'm like, homeboy, like took naps on boats when people were trying to like ask him to do all kinds of things. So exactly. I think not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Karen, thank you so much for your wisdom and for such a great conversation. I'm sure people can get your book, wherever books are all the book places, Amazon and all of that. Where can they find and follow you online? The easiest is probably just to go to my website, karenemon.com and Eman is spelled E H and then man, M-A-N. And it's got all my socials there and everything. I'd love to hang out with them. Thanks so much for having me. This was so great. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.